What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 16, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 19th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood, and I'm working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my friend, Jim Hag. He is an incredibly intentional human being. If all of us men woke up and embraced the day the way Jim does, the world would look and feel different. There's so much we can each learn from Jim. Enjoy this conversation. Okay, my friends, get ready for an incredible treat. I'm so pumped to be talking to my friend Jim. We've been talking about this for at least a year. Jim, I'm so pumped, bro, to have you on the podcast. Expect to be here. Dude, I just thinking about you, it's like I'm just excited to talk to you. Like, if nobody listened to this, um, I've learned and continue to learn so much from you uh, that just to get to sit down for an hour and hang out is just a joy to my day uh, to connect with you. Super fun. I'm, I, like I said, totally looking forward to it. Okay, so just to get a little backstory, you have been really tight homies with my brother Paul for. I don't know. How long you guys been friends? Oh, man, since we were little kids. I actually, I grew up with your cousins, uh, Garrett and Austin, Bridget and Vanessa, and um, basically known them since I was three or four years old. I think our parents knew each other and then uh, met Paul in that mix. So me and Paul have been tight for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years almost. Yeah. Yeah. Long time. And then you and I, so then you and I have connected since for probably 20 years, just like off and on, see you at things. Um, and then have developed a a friendship, uh, around that so that people get to know who I'm talking to. I'm just going to ask you a few rando questions. Um, as we get into the conversation, uh, how old do you find yourself today? Uh, I actually, my birthday was yesterday, uh, November 17th. 1983. So I turned 39. Yeah, baby. Here, here we are. (laughs) Okay. 39. Love it. Um, with that being said, when you turn 39, is there any one target or goal or something in mind that you're like, okay, this is my last year, my thirties. I'd like to do X, Y, or Z before I turn 40. Um, definitely a lot of like, uh, physical goals. I was always like a, um, kind of a party animal growing up had like a little, some emotional baggage from, uh, my childhood. And, um, uh, in the last few years have totally changed my philosophy. So my, my Mm -hmm. philosophy for living, it's no longer about, you know, this yellow moment. Uh, there's a lot more Mm -hmm. like looking into the future um, really mostly about my health, man. I want to live a long time. Um, just, my baby's a year and a half old now, so that's my first child. That's kind of, uh, older to have your first child. Um, so I keep thinking 
about what it's going to be like when she's my age. Am I, Mm. am I still going to be, uh, vital and robust and maybe have some grandchildren? I mean, these are the things that have been, uh, really circling my mind. And do you feel like you're already on that path? Uh, definitely. It is like, um, I mean, there's a ton of things you can do and learn how to do, and there's a ton of conflicting information. So, uh, I'm on the path of like trial and error, trying to find out my own, what works for me. Yeah. Dig it. Okay. And then where do you and your family live? Uh, we live in Fullerton, California, sunny Fullerton, California. There you go. And then how many years you've been married? Been married for six years. Uh, since 2016, but I've been with my current wife since 2004. So we're, we're getting up there. We're getting up there. I think that's 18 years, something like that. Yeah. I got married in 2004. So yeah, I'm on my 18th year of marriage right now. And then do you guys plan to have any more kiddos? Um, it's an open discussion right now. There you go. I, I, I feel like, uh, my experience so far with the first baby besides the birth, I thought the birth was craziest uh, thing that I've ever experienced, but everything else, (laughs) (laughs) everything else has been um, so positive that I can't Mm. see. I can't see why it would be bad to have more, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Dig it. And then what do you do for a living to provide for the family? I'm a licensed general contractor. Uh, have my own business and just do remodel work and uh, build build bathrooms and kitchens. The expensive part of the house. Yeah, you build quality stuff. I try. It, it's mostly the the bigger part of my job is my interaction with my customers, and mm. it's like you develop a relationship. And I mean, I would say fifty percent of my work in a year's time is repeat business. So, um, they like me, I I think you could find anybody to do the work, you know? Um, but they like me. So that's kind of cool. Kind of a cool change, a cool turn of events. I thought it was always about the quality of the work, but I think it's Mm. more about, um, trying to present as a quality person and be reliable and trustworthy and, uh, develop a friendship. Yeah. I think that's becoming more and more important to people. Although we think that our interactions are becoming less frequent and that everybody just wants quality at the cheapest, which I mean, I get right. Amazon, whatever. Uh, but when it comes to getting things done that matter to us, having a relationship, a connection, people long for that and, and desire that. And, uh, it's less about the price. It's more about that relationship, which is good. Yeah. Okay, man, when did fatherhood become an adventure to you? At what point did you embrace it, right? So you have a year and a half year old. And at what point were you like, okay, this is a big deal. This matters. I'm all in. Um, well, we, uh, well, we're a little older for parents. So we kind of decided that we were going to have kids and like made the we had decided for a long time that we weren't, that we were Mm. not having kids, which is why we never had any, um, what are they, the term that people use a pregnancy scare or something like that, that there was never any of that. Um, 
And I would say in the months leading up to that, it only took us a couple months to get pregnant. Um, in the months leading up to that, there, there was a, a, a shift. And I think it was seeing some of my other friends have, have children and seeing the kids interaction in the household and all of that. Um, and I felt like we were, our relationship was at such a stable point that I just felt like, Oh, let's do this. If if we're going to do this, we got to do it. Who brought it up first or was it an open conversation? Uh, it was, um, I, my wife brought it up, but I was already thinking it. Mm. And when she, when she brought it up, she brought it up tenderly. Uh, like, like I might not be open to the idea. And so you remember this moment. Yeah, absolutely. It it was like, it was on the tip of my tongue to bring up Uh. with her. And, um, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it right now. And she was like, Oh, right. That's so uh, rad. And then it, and then here we are. Here we are. What is that? Let's call it like two, two years later, two years, a couple months. Yeah. And you have a year and a half year old and you're loving it. Loving now, it. had you already made some shifts in your philosophy for living that you kind of brought up before? Had some of those shifts happened prior to your baby being born? Yeah. Only I would say maybe six months, eight months okay. prior. Wait, so so six to eight months prior to you deciding to have a baby or six to seven months prior to the baby coming? Uh, prior to deciding. Got it. Okay. So do you recall what that shift was? You know, so so something happened six months, let's call it six months before you and Dana talked about let's have a baby. Some kind of shift in your philosophy for living happened. Do you rem- remember what that was or why that was? Uh, yeah. So I was probably, let's see, 35 at the time. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, um, we, we had been pretty deep in the, in the late night lifestyle kind of, you know, people in their mid thirties that go out to bars and things like that. Um, and I, I think like physically it's hard to, you don't really notice yourself getting out of shape or, and my job's super physical. So I always maintained a certain level of strength and physicality. Um, but I noticed that like our, it's not just my lifestyle, right? It's, uh, this is my house. So my wife is part is living the same lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed, uh, we, we were just messing around in the front yard and, uh, she had taken a, a weird step and like totally rolled her ankle and was laid up for like two weeks with a sprained ankle. And I'm just thinking like, we're, we're like in our mid thirties. Like this isn't, it's not like, uh, she was winning, you know, scoring the game winning point or something to get this <laughs> right. injury. This was right. just like basic take out the trash injury. And, uh, it really like, stuck in my mind a little bit. And then simultaneously, um, my, my mother-in-law is like a big dieter. Uh, she's, she's tried all the things. And that was about the time that the keto 
thing had was starting to gain some traction. And uh, she offered me a, a keto book based on her. Oh, you might like this. All this stuff looks like food that you would like. And I kind of, I kind of took it as a challenge and, uh, I tried it on for, I mean, at first it was just, let's do this for 30 days and see what's up. And, um, my body really took to it, man. And that, that initial diet that I started out with is nothing like what I'm, what maybe it's got some things in common with what I'm doing now, but, uh, just diving into that information and really learning about all of that uh, made a huge impact. And in that, in that first 30 days, I think I lost 10, 10 or 12 pounds. And then that continued for month after month after month. It was the craziest thing. Um, and so did it just but, shift how you felt about yourself? Like you take this on as a challenge and then did it start to, I mean, it seems like a lot was shifting for you. I mean, you've already always been, from my perspective, like a brilliant guy. Um, <clears throat> but you take this on and now you're seeing this transformation happen. What was happening in your life? I mean, because it, it sounds like it wasn't just physical that was changing. Yeah. So the big thing, I mean, you can research now the, the effects of um, like the ketogenic diet on mental health and and. Uh, a whole number of things. And I learned through that I was experiencing it and I was feeling like really focused and like really clear. Mm-hmm. My mind was really clear and um, my job was getting, it was the same job and it was, uh, it felt like it took less effort to be efficient. And I had just had energy that was abounding uh, and that like sparked my interest. I was like, wait, there's more to this than just like uh, shedding a few pounds. And there, there's, uh, there's a ton of information out there right now that um, basically if you have uncontrolled blood sugar regulation, which is pretty much what I had. I mean, I didn't have any lab tests to back that up, but um, based on my size and my weight, i I was definitely like on the road to diabetes kind of land. Um, I mean, I was, uh, when I started this, I was 300 pounds and I'm five foot 11. And today I'm standing in front of you at 206 pounds. So, but of freaking muscle, bro. I mean, I still remember what, (laughs) I remember when I saw you, dude, I don't know. I think it was at Paul's house. I saw you in a t-shirt and I was like, holy shit, Jim, what's up, bro? You know, cause maybe we see each other once every two, three years or whatever. And it yeah. was like, clearly this guy looks phenomenal. Now I want to share something that I didn't share with you before, which I think is, uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what you have to say about this. Um, we probably hung out 10 times in the last 20 years or whatever. One of those times was at Paul's bachelor party. Okay. So my brother's bachelor party were in the desert and, and you're already like a philosophy type of discussion guy, get deep, say what you think. Um, don't hold back. And we're all in this conversation and I'm sure some people were, uh, on some sort of a non-prescribed <laughs> medication to, uh, heighten this Me. conversation. But 
I remember sharing some things about life and my discipline and you made the comment. You're like, Ned, no one's going to be disciplined the way that you are. Like you're at a different level of discipline. Now, I had kids at that time. You didn't have kids. Obviously, other people didn't have kids. But it was kind of like this this back and forth. So thinking about that guy, right? And then I see you, I don't know, two, three, four years later, freaking ripped shirt bulge, you know, your arms bulging out of your shirt, look awesome, lost 100 pounds. Is there a difference between those two guys? Uh, definitely, definitely. Do you remember I, saying that to me? Um, not that exact conversation, but I remember that we had a, a little bit of back and forth on that yeah. trip. Um, that yeah. was kind of like a cool hangout for a few days. For sure. But um, yeah, I'm totally different than I was then. I still the same at the core, still like a seeker, um, trying yeah. to learn, trying to uh, trying to be at the front of what I'm thinking instead of just like letting it drag me uh, mm. along. And um, really, man, I I can't. I, just to go back to the previous thing that we were saying that that blood sugar regulation and the mental health disorders that are treatable by mm -hmm. getting your blood sugar in check. Um, I was on a little bit of a emotional roller coaster because of that. My, my temper was wild. I was just kind of a fiery, passionate person. And I thought that that's, this is just who I am. No, I was, uh, mm. I was microdosing, uh, you know, sugar treats all day that were keeping me up and crashing me down. And it, mm. it's hard, it's hard to stay level in that for me. Yeah. Um, and everybody, you know, everybody's a little different. Um, and that's why I think like figuring out the recipe that works for you is the way to go. I mean, uh, the diet dieting, dieting, not in a restrictive not in a calorie restrictive way, but making sure that I'm uh, eating what I find to be proper for my body. Uh, that's a discipline now that I, I never fail on. And when I see like a candy bar in the checkout line or something like that, um, I don't see food. I see that that's like, that's poison. Like, uh. and it, um, and it sounds silly, like a silly thing, but it's not a silly thing. Uh, and that's really how I feel and what I believe. I mean, we just had Halloween. <clears throat> we passed out little toys. I'm not giving candy to anybody. That seems crazy to me. <laughs> uh, I'm not giving candy to my kid at all. She has no idea about any of that stuff yet. Uh, now she eats, she eats fruit. She eats berries and pears and apples and things that are in season right now. But uh, I'm not about to give her, you know, a bowl of Lucky Charms and tell her to settle down. That's just not going to happen. If she's made of, she's made of the same stuff I am, you know? So what treats would you have if, if you were to say, is there ever like you're going to have a piece of pie or I mean, now I'm not saying like on a weekly, but like say it's Thanksgiving and there's pumpkin pie or there's so like, are you ever going to touch any of these things or are they just always cut out a hundred percent? No, no, no. I'm, I'm down to eat those things, but it's the, it's, 
I think that the the homemade qualities of a For of sure. something make it um, make it a lot more manageable. And it, and I'm not going to be the weirdo at Thanksgiving that's like uh, that apple pie is you know destroying your mind. I'm not I'm I'm, I'm not going to say that. I'll eat the apple pie, man. Um, especially if it's made with love by my mother or yeah, my yeah, yeah. That's so funny, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so just to, I mean, I want to go into other things, but I've been really focusing on my eating. So I turned thirty nine in July. I've been focusing on my eating. I've always been pretty fit, but never like a six pack. And I want to be the best shape I've ever been in. But the food piece is hard, bro. So you say Halloween. I'm like, Halloween, I had a piece of chicken and then was like, all right, I'm gonna have a 1000 calories worth of candy. And I did. So I had like <laughs> a, a chicken, I think all I had was chicken that day. And then um, I'm passing out candy and I had whiskey and probably 40 pieces of candy. And then just felt like total garbage. But I loved it. I loved it, but I would like to be able to go, I'm going to have three pieces of candy and be cool. And that's not at that point yet. Right now I'm like, this is not poison. This is just so good. (laughs) Well, listen, the way the chemistry works in your brain, I mean, uh, that it might as your brain, it might as well have been a line of cocaine. You know, it's pretty hard to stop doing that stuff too. Right. Uh, and just to have one or two lines of cocaine. I mean, I don't know anybody who could do that. Uh, To me, it's the same thing. The chemistry is the same thing. It's a, it's a dopamine system, a major blast. And you're like, you said, I loved it. Sounds like a drug addict. Sounds like a drug, drug addict to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. And there's a bowl of candy out there. There's a bowl of candy and I could tell you in the fridge where a Snickers is. And that's what's <laughs> been most interesting for me the last three months is realizing that I – like if you said, Ned, we're meeting at 345 tomorrow morning to do um, a workout, I'd be there. I'd be ready to go and I'd be like jumping out the car like, yeah, Jim, let's go. So in that aspect of discipline – I'm and that I think has been the most interesting and frustrating piece for me because I'd call myself disciplined – but when it comes to this aspect, I'm really, I have a lot of work to do um, and finding that balance. So I love talking to you and hearing and seeing what you're doing and the intentionality that you have, because it's an area that I desire to grow in. Yeah, for me, it was, you know, I have a different body. You know what I mean? Like um, when if I were to eat the whole bowl of candy uh, you would, I would lift up my shirt and you'd be able to see where it was turned into body fat. And I just hold, I just hold on to it. Mm. Uh, and that's, I mean, genetics, ancestry, it, all of that could have a lot to do with it. Right. Uh, the only way to really know for sure how that stuff's affecting you is to get some blood work done. Uh, and that's what I haven't done. So you've done that since, you know, through your, your, I have not done years. that. I have not done that, but I have, Hmm. I have a a physical response. So the fact that I've shed all of this body fat by doing that, uh, it's not exactly the same thing as doing blood work, but if let's say, for example, uh, if you were to test like a fasting insulin or fasting glucose or fasting triglycerides on me, I guarantee you that they would all be pretty low. 
uh, mm. w- which that may not be the case for you. You may be riding high and just not producing body fat. Instead, you're putting fat around your organs, uh, choking off your system where you can't see it. Um, that's why you have, uh, you know, and, and look at your family too. I mean, look at your brother, thin, strong, uh, Paul, thin, strong, both of your parents are thin, lean and strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're just not people that get super fat. You know what I mean? So for me, that's like an outward marker that I could see that I'm not doing something right. Uh, and for you, you which is also, which is maybe beneficial, right? Because I might not see what's happening inside my body because my body's responding differently. I mean, it's been, it's only beneficial if you do something about it, like in my case, but, and I, and I, I think that, um, this is like a tricky thing. You know, you always hear about, oh, well, my uncle so-and-so he ate, he ate this and he smoked cigarettes his whole life and he lived to be 95 years old. Well, who knows? Who knows about that? You only know what's going on inside of you. You, you got to talk, got to take a good look at your family and uh, uh, even some of the like easy genetic testing stuff like the uh, ancestry or 23 and me. It's pretty insightful. Mm-hmm. It's pretty insightful to have some of that information. So I'm going to shift up a little bit because you've done a lot of uh, searching, seeking when it comes to physical, mental, um, your, your desire to be there for your daughter, uh, for your wife, you know, for longevity. So you did a lot of learning pre deciding to have a baby, probably since having a baby. But what I want to know is what have you learned about yourself because you have a baby, a child in your life now. So what I mean is, you know, like when you get when you get married or when you have, you know, you've been with Dana for a long time, there's this obvious I'm uh, uh friction, right? So I learn about myself in I have friction with my wife. There's like things that like frustrate me and then I have to internally look and go like, "Okay, what is it about me that I need to learn so that I can be the best version of me for her?" So when you think about having your kid, what have you learned about yourself through the process of being a dad? Um, I've learned a lot about that. Uh, like that I'm not uh, a moderate person, that I'm like a, I'm an all in person. Mm. And that if, uh, if I want to make serious changes that I can't really, I can't really just say, I can't really be moderate about it. I have to, I have to go all the way. Um, otherwise I'll hate myself over it. Hmm. Uh, also I would say, I, I guess in that same vein that, um, uh, none of this stuff now that I'm doing for my personal health, um, it's not really a, it's not really a choice. It's like a duty. It's kind of required. Mm. It's, it's required of me, uh, like getting up the time that I get up the same time every day, having that routine. I mean, I don't think I've hit the snooze button in the last two years. Uh, I'm just up because yeah. this is what, this is what I'm doing and this is what is required of me so that I'm here. Uh, breath, 
doing the breath work in the morning, I never skip it uh, because because it keeps <clears throat> it's required. Uh, it keeps me level. It keeps uh, all the the frustration kind of stuff, the emotional upwelling of things. Uh, it allows me to be stable. Um, and the same thing with the diet. I don't really waver on that. I kind of just, uh, keep plugging forward. And I know that if I come off of that, then old behaviors and, and old mindsets will surface and kind of drown me. And, um, if I, if I want to show up, uh, every day and be everything that I can be, then, uh, okay. So to answer the question in like a single word, I think like a sense of duty, I, I never really had a sense of duty before. Um, but I, I feel I don't need to be like encouraged to get up and get after it. Um, it just is, it just is now, which is profound, a uh, profound change that I did not see coming or expect at all. And I think it is definitely from increasing my responsibility and building a family. Bro, this is so good. Okay. I just wrote down all these notes and I want to just take this little, this little map of the dots. Let's connect these dots here. So you said it's not a choice. It's a duty. So when you think about that, what I'm hearing from you is this is now that I'm a father, I'm a husband. This is like a calling on my life. This is a duty. It's a, you said the word responsibility, right? There, there's no other option. This is just, it is what it is. So it's like, almost like as you're explaining it, it's, it's almost hard to explain because it just is like, if I step into my role as a man, husband, father, I have a duty. It's no longer a choice. So that kind of takes out the, that's this, that's the selfless response though. But, and then I want to connect some more dots, but hold, hold, hold on to this question. What allows you to just live in that? Okay. So that's going to be the question. What allows you to live in that and not be the guy waking up like, Oh, well, you're sleeping till seven and taking care of the kid or whatever you want to bitch about. Like most do not most dudes that a lot of dudes we may say do. Okay. So I love that. So then you say, if I want to show up, so I love this sentence, if I want to show up, which most men would say they want to, okay, if I want to, then for me to be stable, next dot, I'm required to get up, not snooze the alarm, do what works for me, which you have found is nutrition, which is going to be for everybody, find something, breath work, which is whatever you want to call it, prayer, meditation, breath work, creating intentionality for your day, not just showing up as an asshole thinking this is all about me, but setting the intention. Um, and I love the, what you said, dude, I don't need to be encouraged. It just, it just is. That's kind of like the last dot. I don't need to be encouraged about this. I don't need you to call me and motivate me. This is my duty. And I know what's required for me to accomplish this. Bro, if, if everybody woke up with that, our world will look different. And that's why we're even having this conversation is, is for that mindset. When you, so when you think about this, like beautiful connect the dot mindset that you, that you just said, could you put your finger on if you were to have 10 men who are like, or one dude who's like, all right, Jim, I, I want that too. But, and then they give some sort of excuse that they're giving power to like, what's your, 
Is there anything to say other than just do it? Like you're asking me, like, what's the I'm secret asking sauce? You. Exactly. Um, I, I think, uh, I mean, it's a, it, it's a lot easier for me to like come to that because I, I'm like a sole proprietor in my business and I don't have a team of people around me. It like literally is up to me. Uh, and if I don't, it, it's, it's just, and I found it found that it's just so much easier, uh, to just embrace, embrace it, um, and not get hung up rolling it around in my head. Dude, should I do this? Can I do this? Can I sleep in? Can I do this? I just don't. Um, okay. So then I'm going to ask another, uh, yeah, because I think it just is right. So I get it. It, it is, but you've also brought up, you kind of made a couple comments about this, that there was some resentment, some, some frustration, some childhood emotional uh, struggle. And so although you do have that crutch per se, if you wanted to, to lean on it, you've also eliminated that as a impacting how you're going to show up today. So to what level is that gone or to what level is it that you are you know, walking across the battlefield with a bullet in your leg just because that's what you do, right? Instead of just sitting on the ground and being a bitch about it. Is it gone? You healed the wound or are you walking across the field without, if you get my kind of analogy there? Yeah, I think if I just, with the resentment piece, um, I mean, I don't think we talked, have talked about my childhood too much in depth yet, but um, it, it is uh, letting go of that, learning of learning about what that feeling was, and hearing analogies made by other people in like researching it. Uh, learning that <clears throat> that resentment is like a poison, and uh, thinking like, "Oh, my life could have been could have been so much better if." Uh, mm. I mean, maybe it's a good mental exercise to go back and think about those things and dwell on them a little bit, but there's a time and a place. And like, if that's constantly hovering in your psychology, you're walking around thinking that uh, everybody owes you something or you have a major Mm -hmm. chip on your shoulder. uh, People can see that if you don't, even if you don't outwardly say it, it, it turns you into like a, a vacuum or like a, and my personality is like a, I have, there's people have told me this not to like speak about myself or any too much, anything like that. But uh, like when I'm pissed off, everybody around me knows it. Even if I haven't said that I'm pissed off, yeah. uh, there's, there's like a gravity. Um, and in my family, I'm kind of a commanding presence uh, even amongst like, my mother and my father and my brother. Uh, I mean, I come from a small family, so I'm literally a commanding size to next to them. Uh, but yeah, so getting rid of that rain cloud and not letting that uh, drag you down. Uh, how did I get over it? Well, I mean, Okay, so the majority of my resentment came from, I would say, my relationship with my dad growing up. Uh, 
he he was always kind of doing doing his thing and he was never like uh, outwardly abusive or emotionally abusive. He was just kind of immature. Uh, he was young when he had me and then his life took him on a bunch of different tra- trajectories. And I, I resented that he wasn't there for me in the way that I thought that he should be or the way that, uh, uh, other examples in my life were there for their families and all of that. And I held on to that for a long time, like a big chip on my shoulder. And, um, it shaped a lot of who I am now. And I just, uh, so to answer the question about, am I limping across the battlefield with this wound in my leg? I would say it's probably more like a scar and less Uh. like a, less like an active, less like an active bleeding wound. What helped you to make it a scar? What, what turned it into a scar? Versus impacting your day-to-day operations. Uh, I think just time ownership, like getting, getting old enough and taking responsibility for what is going on in my life and saying like, I'm in control of this. Uh, and, and once, once I got there, then it's like, well, I don't have to let this impact me anymore. So I don't think these things ever really uh, get healed in people. Um, but you can like move past them, you know? Yeah. I love that man. Cause it's so, I like the analogy. It's a scar, right? So it's there, you can look to it, but I can look at that scar and I can think I can let it drag my day down or I can let it empower my action. Either way, it's going to have impact on my actions. So if I take ownership of this, like you said, if I take ownership of this, then it's it's allowing me to know how I want to respond to the day. And what's so interesting is, oh man, I've been thinking about I've like been thinking about this and kind of unpacking this, especially with the food thing, because I'm like, okay, I want to be hungry. But the idea of suffering, like you and I could literally go without suffering because of the culture that we live in. You know, as far as we talk about, like, I'm not gonna be cold, I'm not gonna be hungry. But then what's interesting is I think if we go too long without suffering, we end up putting pain on ourselves. Like I'm going to do something to mess up my relationships or my body because I think something about us needs suffering to grow. We need those scars to grow into the men, women that we want to be. Like we were designed, I mean, we were designed to handle so much. So can I put suffering in my life that's a positive, right? Like, does yeah. it, does it, do I like to wake up at 4 a.m. and maybe take a cold shower? Not necessarily, but the way it makes me feel, the way that I can show up, if I can put some things in my life that require me to be out of my comfort zone, I just think it elevates my senses. It elevates how I show up. What do you think about that? Uh, I certainly think that like the mental resilience piece, building resilience, doing things that make you uncomfortable. You hear this, this is like a, a big thing in like the man's man space. Uh, any of the like former military, uh, special ops people that are talking or even like, uh, David Goggins or anything like that. They're talking about that, uh, uh, embracing the suck or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. 
and I think there's certainly something to that. I think that resilience is huge. Um, I, I think that, uh, the, like for me, the, uh, the fasting, the cold shower thing, those are real. Uh, those are, uh, real. And when you have that little bit, it's that bitter, bitter and sweet, uh, analogy, analogy when you have a little bit of that in your life the sweet is oh so good you know mm. yeah yeah mm, that's good all right i i want to get a few more questions out and uh don't want to run out of time um when you think about the role of the father how would you describe the role um well we've been kind of circling around that a little bit here um I forget exactly what I wrote down in that, in the initial line of questioning. But well, I'll I, remind you a couple words that you said, you said stability and resilience, and I'd love for you to expand on those. And then there's one other word you said, and I just like to unpack it for a minute. So what does stability and resilience mean when you think about the role? So there's definitely the stability, like creating the stability in the household, um, whether that's the, the financial stability, which it doesn't have to be, you know, I'm, I'm up with the, the, the contemporary world where the wife can make the financial stability if that's how it plays out. Uh, but certainly the emotional stability, uh, being, mm. being like a, a strong footing, a foundation, um, uh, having a set of values and a set of rules that are, uh, defined, but open, to learning, uh, and, and being consistent in that way, being consistent day in and day out, not having these crazy fluctuations. That's, that's uh, from my childhood. That's the thing that I'm sort of pushing against was that, uh, my dad kind of did whatever the hell he wanted. Um, mm. I mean, I don't want to sell it as all like bad things. We had some crazy adventures. I had some crazy adventures as a child, uh, which were really awesome, but he also, it was not stable. The situation mm. was not, not stable, uh, not stable emotionally. I mean, I would never turn, I would have never and still don't, uh, turn to my dad when I'm feeling like the world is pressing down on my chest. Um, I, I look inside now I, mm. I i don't and i hope to i hope that my own child and maybe children and my wife could look to me as like a a rock uh, to kind of like keep the boat turned upright and uh keep the car on the road and uh, keep moving forward because it's going forward we every day is moving you got to stay on the path yeah um, and then so, the result oh. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, okay. I'll ask you a question about this then. So, because you talked about this and I feel like this is an area that I find myself kind of, uh, messing up for lack of a better word, but you talked about, you know, stability and resilience. And then you talked to maybe five, 10 minutes ago about gravity and how, like, if you're pissed, everybody knows you're pissed. It kind of sucks the energy out of the house. And I find similar, if I'm pissed, I don't need to say anything. It's just like, oh, sheesh, I just drug the energy down in this place. Yeah. So is there anything that you have found? And, and we're not going to be perfect. 
but but have you found any um i hate to say hacks or tricks or things that have helped you that when you find yourself pissed that you don't allow yourself to enter the room and suck the energy for the rest of the day or a couple days or whatever is there anything that you found that you do to help with that um i would say just making sure that for me building into my day uh a certain amount of time for that like uh self reflection mm-hmm. uh the breath work, especially, I mean, the specific breath work I do is a Wim Hof and then a little bit of tweaking on that. What's really interesting about that is that you don't have to believe in it. You just do it. And then all of a sudden you're, you're just way more chill, um, which is great. I mean, it's not some mystical thing. It's just like you do it and then you're just more chill. Uh yeah, and level-headed. Uh, uh, and I'm not immune to this. I mean, it. there's at least once a week something gets me a little miffed. And my my wife is like, did I say something? Did I do something? And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just, you know, trying to trying to drive this whole life forward here. And uh, mm-hmm. some sometimes it's not easy to, to do all that. Get, and maybe giving myself a little bit of grace where I don't have to kind of I don't have to be perfect all the time, just as long as I reflect on it. And if I see things that need to be changed, change them, just start working in that direction. That's uh, not, not pretending like it's somebody else's problem. I mean, it's my problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Something somebody said to me just recently uh, and it revolved around the food again. Cause I was like, dang it, dude, I messed up yesterday. So then it kind of pisses me off for two or three days. And he made the comment, maybe, maybe your measurement period's too small. So like, instead of measuring the day, measure the week. And so maybe when I think about my interactions with my wife as well, or my kids or whatever, instead of measuring, you know, every hour, was I good this hour? Was I good this hour? Was I good this hour? Or was I good this day, this day, this day? It's a little excessive. Whereas if maybe I measure the week, you know, maybe that's a better measurement of time because I don't want to be irritated at myself for, you know, one interaction out of 30 that I was kind of a dick, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think that's where the grace comes in. It's not, and, and, uh, I mean, people have been saying this forever that like, it's not, I mean, everybody's going to stumble and trip and fall and it's way more about how you pick yourself back up and stay on the path than it is like uh, wallowing on the ground about how, Mm -hmm. how, how, uh, how hurt you are over it, you know? So the other thing I was going to ask you about, which you kind of already answered, but if you have anything else to say about it, is you, you, you had written down principles, but then just now you said having a set of values that you you know kind of impart onto your children or with your children. But in the same sentence, which I thought you're dancing this line really nicely, is with an openness to learn. You know, yeah. and, and sometimes what I find with parents is either A, it's too much like these are the shout principles. This is it. This is the only way. And then I'm finding right now in our day and age that it's like a dad may not be giving any principles because he doesn't want to compete with our crazy culture that's open to anything and everything. And so I feel as though your answer was kind of like dancing that line of there are principles and values that are important to me, but I am also open to learn, which is different than just saying 
since 99 other people say this is the right way to go, we're going to. You're saying, hey, 99 other people are saying this. Let's learn. Let's let's kind of like dig into this and then decide, is this right for our family? Would you agree that's kind of where you're at with the principles and values? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and I, I would say with 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 all of these things that we're talking about, I'm um, I'm super self-critical. Like if something, I'll try something on and give it a certain chunk of time to see if it's effective or not. And if it doesn't work for me or work for us, then I reserve the right to scrap that idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are like some core things that you can't really uh you can't really forego. I think that like uh, taking care of your, for lack of a better term, taking care of your bloodline. Like I think uh, like, like I, my mom could do nothing wrong. Even my dad now these days could do nothing wrong. If he came to me and he needed me, my brother came to me and needed me, even if he was overstepping and all of that, I think it's uh I think you need to help your family and you need to be, you need to be real with your family. That's like a value that I have. That's not going to change. Now, Uh, what does real mean? Is that like honest and present? Like, what would that mean to be real with your family? Yeah. All of the and above. Like if let's say, let's say for example, um, let's say my brother came to me and needed uh, to borrow a bunch of money and, but let's say he, he also has a drug problem that we all know about. I don't think I would just give him the money, but I would certainly mm-hmm. try to help him and try to, mm-hmm. now my brother doesn't need money and he doesn't have a drug problem, <laughs> but it, he, it's because he's doing the same thing that I am. He's like not, uh, and he never really comes to me for help on those kind of things. Uh but I, just as an example, that was an example. Yeah. So, so, but I, I'm liking this because a lot of people don't even want to go there. A lot of people aren't even wanting to see, well, I should say this. They're either on their Instagram, like, this is what I stand for. And it's, 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 it's excessive. Um, but I like that you are still saying like, I'm open to learn, but there are core values that I need to impart into my children. And one of those is being, being there and, and supporting your family, no matter what. And being real, open, honest with your family um, and yourself. And, maybe it, and yourself. Is there a couple other core values that you'd say? Hey, these these are these create stability. Um, well, along the lines of that stability and resilience thing, I think that um, <clears throat> uh, being a critical thinker, uh, trying to work out the problems in your mind, being uh, aggressive towards more information. Like if you don't know yet, just run it for 30 days and, and gather some more data and some more information and you'll know, you'll know that. Mm. Um, I think that what I hope to impart to my children are the ideas in this world are going to change all the time. But if you have strategies for organizing information in your mind, strategies for um, understanding and strategies for like self-knowledge, then you can kind of like deal with whatever anybody throws at you. 
Um, if you know how to pick an argument apart and try to understand what's, what's a, uh, what makes uh, something valid and what makes something invalid, uh, that's a skill. That is like a, a massive skill that will just take you, it, it could take you through your whole life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't know if that answers the question. It answers it. It's it's beautiful. Which, which I'll just. I'm going to make a statement. Uh, you know, one of the questions I ask in the form is, "What's been the best resource to you?" And you put a few things, but you wrote something down that I just think is is going to be obvious when I say what it is to all the listeners. But is a but is a whoa. That's intense. And am I? If I want, okay, going back to your statement, if I want to show up for my family, it requires this. And what you put as the resource is rigorous self-evaluation yes and dude like rigorous isn't a word you know i might say every day and it's like okay yeah damn that makes sense i can see that when i hear jim talk about it you don't seem like this gnarly intense like you're not you're not standing on a soapbox right now preaching it's really kind of steady eddie calm sharing your life with us but i think if dads right now are listening to this if i want to show up if i want to show up then I need to do rigorous self-evaluation. I need to create a practice of that and create things of stability in my life. And so I clearly see that that's what you have done and continue to do. Um, But before I ask my two last questions, do you have any thoughts to expand on that? Um, Yeah, don't don't hold back. I mean, for me, I don't hold back. Uh, Every time I complete a project in my professional life, every time... I try try to give myself space every day to think about, did I do this the way that I know that I could have done this? Is Mm -hmm. there, was there a better way? Did this go how I thought it was going to go? Where did I miss? (coughs) Where did I miss the pieces? You know, Uh, when do you do that self-evaluation? Do you do it in the morning? Do you journal before bed? Like what's your practice? uh, Usually in the morning. Um, I don't get up super early, but I have a little bit of a morning routine. And then, um, yeah, just uh, mostly it would always be in the morning. Maybe like on, I drive a lot for work too. So on drives, trying to basically problem solve in my mind. Love it. All right. My two, my two final questions. One is, you know, the, the podcast is fatherhood field notes. We already have done it the last hour is you're just open up your field notes, sharing everything. But the mantra behind it is rebel and create, um, you know, and, and as men, we need something to fight for. And, and clearly there's lots that you're fighting for, but when you hear the mantra rebel and create, what's something that you are rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of that? Um, I don't, I don't like the idea of like just going through life and <clears throat> letting the, the wind and the water, the waves kind of push you around wherever mm-hmm. it's going. Uh, I think that like, there's, I think that that's super common. Uh, and yeah. it's, that is like not, in, that's not an intentional way to live. That's the opposite of being intentional. Um, that's kind of like my experience with my own father. Uh, and he tried, you know, he coached the little league and did all that. Uh, but it was like, so, so wrong. Me reflecting on it now, I'm like, Oh man, 
you were just a, a baby when you had me. You didn't even, you still don't even know yourself. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that all people, not just fathers, you should spend a lot of time trying to know who you are and uh, know your strengths, know your weaknesses, be super critical of yourself. And, uh, and then it only gets better from there. Like you can pretty much break. And I spent 35 years of my life not giving a shit about any of this, you know, uh, maybe in my own way, but the answers that I used to come up with were like, fuck it, whatever, just do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm rebelling against, uh, apathy, uh, and, and unintentional behavior. I think you, you got a certain amount of time that you're mm-hmm. here on this planet. Mm-hmm. Like, make your mark dude what you just said is so profound and i think if men are listening to this they're clearly trying to grow um but you said you know spend time getting to know yourself getting to know who you are and i think sometimes we distract ourselves so much like i could literally distract myself from the moment i wake up now i might go to work but i could have music i could have a podcast i could read a book i could put on netflix i could do so many things to distract myself throughout the day um but if you pause all that and spend time alone, when you first do it, you might not like what you see in the mirror, but that's the opportunity to go, okay, I don't like that. And the only person who can change any of that is you and to stop the unintentional behaviors. So super profound. I hope that um, myself and every man listening to this creates that space to do that. And not just, I get up in the morning and I spend one hour reading or I spend one hour, like I could do so many things that feel intentional, but they're not actually creating the space for me to get to know me and for me to become a better version of Ned. And I'm finding that right now, man, that I want to just spend more time just kind of sitting because sometimes I don't like it. Sometimes it makes me uncomfortable. I do a lot of uh, walking too. Mm. Uh, And no headphones. So Mm. basically just thinking, just just let spending time and letting, letting your mind just pour itself out. You'll get past all that distracting thinking pretty quick. Uh, Yeah. I think that, yes, that's so important to go out in nature, you know, to be outside, to, to create that. So dude, we're running up on the hour right now. And I want to ask you my final question. Um, what is the legacy that you want to leave? So imagine 38 years from now, 38 years from now, you may be coming towards the end of your life, right? You be in your eighties and your, your daughter will be coming up to her forties, right? She'll be kind of where you are today. What is it that you want to see being played out in her home? And you would just get a grin on your face going, okay, the effort, the work that I put in, you know, when she was little, as she grew up, I can see that being played out now. What do you want to see? Um, I would say those principles being lived uh, for her to have her own stable home, for her to have uh, used her skills to select a partner in a smart way uh, to fall in love, but also to find uh, to be selective. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I, I had hoped that 
that there are no uh, walls between me and my children. I feel mm. like I'm super close with my mom, but there's still, there are barriers. Yeah. Uh, and I'd hope that in my own family, that those walls are, uh, that, that, that there wouldn't be those barriers. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I, I love that because my kid, you know, my oldest is 16 and I'm starting to pay attention to what are the things that I may do, you know, as I become more aware of myself, what are the things that I may do to create a barrier where my kid may not feel a hundred percent, you know, in harmony with me in maybe certain areas. And so really trying to be conscious of that while still sharing my values as a, as a father, you know, yes, it's a tightrope, man. It's a, yeah. uh, it's a tough, it's a tough job, man. Being a, being a dad, it, I can't imagine. I mean, you got a whole soccer team over there. Uh, <laughs> but I think if we're willing to be present and we're willing to have these conversations, I mean, this is a beautiful thing for men to be having vulnerable, open conversations about self-awareness, about how we love our children, our spouses, how we want to show up. We're willing to do the work. And I think that as long as we're not looking for perfection or for us to look better than our neighbor, if you will, this is where we're supposed to be is in the tension of this um, and be okay with the seasons where things are going great and then when things are not but when they're not not turning to poisons, if you will, to you know maybe numb it, but to enter into that suffering and go, okay, how does Ned show up in this? How does Jim show up in this? Not for myself, but for the sake of those around me. And I just yeah. hear that in you. Um, I love, dude. I love you, Jim. You're a great man that's out there every day consistently showing up um, and you have huge impact in the world. And so, dude, just keep, keep being you, keep growing, keep loving, keep seeking. Um, and and uh, it's really an honor and a privilege to get to call you a friend. Thanks, man. Back at you. All right, my friend. Until next time. Uh, what another incredible conversation. Dads, our role is not a choice. It's a duty and one that should be honored, respected, and embraced. I love this perspective and approach that Jim brings to fatherhood. I hope Jim inspired you the way he continues to inspire me. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, What You Do Matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time.